Hello and welcome to the Bikes for Death podcast. My name is Patrick and I am so happy that you're here. When I collaborated with Louis Sador on my last episode, he does something kind of cool at the beginning of his podcast where he thanks his Patreons that signed up for that week. And I thought that was a great idea. And so I'm going to copy him. This week's new patrons are Gordon M, Kathy D, Shannon O, Tony B, Ash W, Chad B, and Jason B. Just want to give a shout out to those and every other Patreon and everyone out there that supports the show. Uh, I couldn't do it without y'all. If you want to support the show, please head over to bikesordeath.com and pretty much the whole thing is an advertisement for Bikes for Death. Surprising, I know. It's a revolutionary website stuff going on here. And as always, if you can take a moment and head over to iTunes and leave a five-star review, that's actually the best. It helps a ton. I appreciate it. And it helps other people find out about the show so that they can enjoy this super awesome content just like you are right about now. All right. This week's guest is Cynthia Pedraza. Uh, I met up with her in Austin, Texas. We uh, met outside at a little park and uh, it was a great chat. Um, I appreciate her so much coming on the episode because what we're talking about today is not necessarily the easiest conversation to have. She wrote an article that was published on The Radivist titled Bike Racing, White Privilege, and the Coronavirus. Now, if you are a triggered person, that title might trigger you. But I would encourage you to listen to this episode with an open mind and understand that what is really valuable and what is needed so desperately at this time in our society is conversations. We need to be able to talk to people. We need to be able to listen to people and understand where they're coming from. And we need to be open-minded to different perspectives and point of views and life experiences and all those things. And so while you may not agree with everything that she or I has to say, I hope that you will focus on the fact that the most important thing we could be doing is having hard conversations. I said in my uh, Black Lives Matter podcast that I put out a few episodes ago that I would not let the fear of making a mistake or saying the wrong thing prevent me from seeking to do the right thing. And I'm going to stand by that. So again, I'd like to thank Cynthia for taking the initiative to write that article. She wrote it from the perspective of, of her own hometown of Austin, Texas, having some experiences that led her to have an emotionally triggered response that she was honest about, and it didn't sit well with her, and she decided to do something about it. She's not an author or an activist or anything. She's just a person that felt empowered and impassioned to try to make a difference in some small way, and I applaud that. It was a privilege to have her on as a guest. She was uh, very enjoyable to talk to, really down to earth, so much fun, and super, super chill. You'll get that reference later. And one other note about this particular episode, we are talking a lot about bike racing, and we didn't really define it clearly on the podcast. We had talked previously, obviously, and we both knew what each other were talking about, but after listening to the podcast, I realized that we didn't articulate it actually while we were talking. So let me be clear. When we're talking about racing in this episode, we're talking about mass start group races where you're in close proximity, breathing and all this kind of stuff on each other, right? I understand that the TNGA is actually going on right now. Um, and we've seen uh, Jay Peter v very recently do an ITT on the Arkansas high country route and race. Let's just be honest that right now is a very confusing time across the globe, uh, especially in America. And this is not a condemnation of the TNGA or any other kind of self-supported styled racing that's going on. Uh, we all know that you're never in a large group and you're self-supported. You know, you go into gas stations and hop in and get a frozen burrito. You wear your mask, get back out there on the road uh, solo. You know, I think, I think we can do that safely. So yeah, just wanted to clarify that. Okay, and one other quick note about this episode. If you'd like to read the article that she wrote uh, and was published on The Radivist, obviously you can head over to The Radivist and find it there. And I'm going to be publishing it on my website, bikesordeath.com as well. Um, and also going to put the follow-up um, article that she wrote to address some 
feedback that she got from her original article, we'll put it politely. So if you'd like to read that, and I think you should, head over to the Radivist or bikesordeath.com and, uh, and check that out. Okay, folks, thanks again for being here. And as always, Mr. Miles Arbor is going to take it away with the intro song. Let's get to it. You load up your bike, you ride away from home. You could be with your friends or you could be alone. You ride for a day or maybe more. You just love being in the great outdoors. Everything you need is strapped to your bars, including that new pillow you got from Santa Claus. And then you think, oh shit to yourself. You left that super lightweight tent on the living room shelf. Bikes. Or death. Bikes. Or death. Podcast. All right, everybody. Today I'm sitting down in Hemp Hill Park in Austin, Texas with Cynthia Pedroza. Thank you for uh, taking some time to chat with me today. Thanks for having me. And I'd like to emphasize that we were at, we are at Hemp Hill Park. I'd like to know how this park got its name. No idea. Freaking Austin, you, you no weirdos here. here. Yeah, <laughs> but it's nice. So you just got off your uh, honeymoon. I did. It was a three-day honeymoon in Kyle, Texas, which is literally 10 minutes away from Austin, where we currently are. And we just stayed at a little like inn called Sage Hill Inn. And uh, it was just relaxing and nice and spacious and chill. Did you get married during the pandemic? During the Yeah, actually, we had to cancel our original wedding, which was on June 6th. And we were supposed to just like have all of our family and friends and like have a barbecue or something. But we obviously had to cancel that. And then we were just like, fuck it. Let's just get married and just invite our parents. And we got together at Camp Eagle, which is like in Rocky Hill, Texas. And it's this big camp with swimming and mountain biking and stuff. And they opened it to the public temporarily. So we were like, let's not tell them we're getting married. Let's just like pick a spot under a tree and just like do it. And our friend married us and it was cool. Awesome. Rocky Rocky Hill Ranch? No, it was at Rock Springs, Texas. Rock Springs. Called yes. Camp Eagle. Look it up. It's super nice. They have a mountain bike race there every year. Right. It's That's part of the sick. uh it's part of, part of the Timbra series. Yeah. Yeah. And I never made it out to dude, that one because it's to. so far, but everybody says it's like really good. It, they have like the only super D in Texas, I believe. Oh wow. Super downhill. Even over Spider Mountain. Oh, except for maybe Spider Mountain. I don't know Mountain. if they have a super D or not. Yeah, I haven't made it out to Spider Mountain. I don't yet. do big jumps. I yeah, stay on the ground most neither. of the time. <laughs> yeah. No, I rode down I rode down it at Camp Eagle while we were there, but man, I definitely slid out a couple times. It's super steep. That's awesome. A good way to uh, social distance while bike riding and honeymooning yeah. in the apocalypse. Totally. <laughs> One way to do it. So you came on my radar because of an article that you wrote for the Radivist titled Bike Racing, White Privilege, and the Coronavirus, which is something that we definitely need to get into. But before that, I kind of wanted to just get a better idea of you and your personal history in cycling. So maybe you can tell me like when you got into cycling and how that happened. Yeah, I was traveling abroad for a Spanish literature class and we were in Costa Rica and we were staying at a hostel. I met this like 20 year old kid briefly for like an hour. And he was like, yeah, I rode my bike all the way from Oregon to Costa Rica. And then my bike got stolen. So now I'm stuck here. Oh my. But I was like, that's sick. I've never, I had never heard of a bike tour before. I had like hadn't ridden a bike since I was a kid. And I was like, just my mind was like blown. I was like, holy shit, you can like do this type of thing. You can go on this adventure and just ride your bike. And so I got back to Houston where I was for the summer in between um, freshman and sophomore year of college. And I found a bike that somebody was just like, giving away from their backyard. It was a Huffy. And I was like, I'm going to ride this bike all the way to Austin. Oh. And my parents are like, you're insane. That's really like unsafe. You're a woman. You shouldn't be doing that. And Okay, back up. Hold on. So a guy rode his bike to Costa Rica. You heard about bike touring. You weren't a cyclist, but someone was giving away a free Huffy and you decided that you were going to take that Huffy and ride it from here to Houston. Yeah. Which is well, how many miles? It's 170. 
But like before I got the Huffy, I was like, I'm doing this thing. I don't have a bike. Like I'm going to find a bike somewhere. There's got to be a bike for me. <laughs> and it was just like a crazy idea. Well, just, like, okay. What is it about you that is open to that idea? Because most people, I mean, I talk to people all the time and yeah. like tell them what I do and a light bulb doesn't always go off. I mean, I don't know. I think like if you're a cyclist, you have to be like either adventurous or extreme or alternatively minded. Like those are the three characteristics I think that drive someone to become a cyclist. And I think I was just like all three or something and it just blew my mind. I was like, hold, I can't believe people do this. Why aren't I doing this already? It just sounded sick. Awesome. Okay, so yeah, tell me, uh, so you got a Huffy that was in somebody's backyard, probably rusted chain and needed a tune-up and everything <laughs> yeah, else. Yeah, <laughs> actually, I took it to the bike shop. They were like, you can't ride this. You're insane. It's a 26-inch. <laughs> and I was like, I don't care what they say. Like, they don't know me. Like, I'm going to do this. Right. And then my dad was like, hey, you want to do this? It seems like you're pretty determined. I'm going to help you do this. And... My dad and my uncle pulled together some money and they bought me a Fuji Finest 3.0, which is a really entry-level road bike. And then we picked up some clip-in shoes, which I had just heard about. And I don't know, I just put them on, started training for like two weeks. And then my mom was like, all right, I'm going to follow you. And I downloaded the MS150 route, which is like this charity event that goes from Houston to Austin. So I was like, I'll just follow their route. And I got lost along the way a little bit, but my mom met me every 40 miles with my sister and our dog. And we camped at Lake Lafayette halfway between Houston and Austin. And then... So were you carrying your gear too? No. So it wasn't a proper bike tour? (laughs) No, I had like a camelback and like two bottles of water or no, I think maybe just one bottle of water and a camelback. And then my mom had snacks I didn't really know how to eat properly or anything. And I did like fall and just like fell over because <laughs> I didn't know how to unclip. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it was fine. And then I got to Austin and I was like, fuck yeah, I'm so cool. I'm so strong. I can do anything that I want to do. And after that, I think my dad specifically, who he's like from Mexico, he just like started to respect me more <laughs> as a person. He was like, wow, you are strong. Like you can do this. And I think after that, we just had a little bit of a shift in our relationship where he was like, you're an adult and you can choose what you want to do and stuff like that. So that was really nice too. I can tell that was an emotional moment for it you. It is. Yeah. My dad, like, I don't know. There's a lot of stuff between... Mexican dads and their daughters where they're very protective and they also tell you you can't do certain things because you're a woman and not just dads just the whole culture tells women that's stuff that they can't do yeah I've actually run into this before a girl named Trish Nag I went on a bikepacking trip uh, it was a group of first timers going on a bikepacking trip a five-day bikepacking trip in in the desert so pretty extreme very remote very rugged and Trish had never been camping in her life, <laughs> had not really ridden a bicycle or anything like that, and was met with a ton of resistance from her family. She was Hispanic. She had to call like the professor and get the professor to <laughs> talk to the family. And she had some barriers that she had to work through as well. But ultimately, her family did accept that decision to do that and then became very supportive of it. And she got her family into camping and stuff like yes. that. So it's really an empowering thing that I totally. love to see is it not only shows yourself that you're a very capable person and you can really take on more than most people think that you can, but it shows other people around you too. Like, I mean, probably not your friends as much, but yeah, I'm sure it's nice that your parents are like... Hell yeah, girl. (laughs) Yeah, and they've all, like, since then gotten their own bikes. And, like, they don't ride them that much, but, like, they have them and they have the option and sometimes they whip them out. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, grow the bike community. Yeah, That's what we need is, I mean, that's ultimately what we're talking about is bringing more people into the bike community and making it more diverse and making it accessible to everybody. So, I mean, you're obviously an example of, of making that happen. So I'm curious, I don't I don't know if you know, but my podcast usually focuses more on bikepacking and like the ultra endurance long stuff. So you did this, you know, quasi bike tour. 
with a little assistance, like let's not downplay 170 miles on your bike as like a new cyclist is crazy. Yeah, like, I know. I there's like, people oh. who are listening like, oh, I'll knock that out in an afternoon. And maybe you would right now too. No, I've done it since then. One, my record is 10 hours for 170 miles. But we like stopped along the way, but like our ride time was 10 hours. But wow. we did it all in one day. Wow. I'm trying to think what I'm, the longest push I've ever had is 190 and I think it took me in one 12, day. 12 hours. Oh, shit. Yeah. But it was a bike packing race. And so I was like trying to trying to go for it. But so did you ever segue into doing any kind of long distance bike packing stuff? Or where no, did you, where did you land? Yeah. I like the longest. The other thing that I've done is like the ride across Texas or they call it the race across Texas, which is from Texarkana to Big Bend. But I only did the first three days, which was like 300 miles self-supported with two other ladies. And yeah, that that's was really uh, sick. the Rat 1000, right? Yeah. Yeah. The Rat, I forgot it's called the Rat. Yeah, yeah. the Rat 1000. Jeez, when did that, I don't know if it's going on this year. I was trying to think if I've heard if it's going to happen. So. It's put on by Spinistry, I think, right? Right. Yeah. Well, Spinistry is doing another event. Kevin P posted on Facebook that he's got like symptoms. Yeah, he's like, I might have COVID, <laughs> I might but have you COVID. should still come race. <laughs> so it's anyway, good, good luck with that. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm i not a racer. I mean, I, I'm, I'm ignorant to the racing side of the sport. Not that I have anything against it. I'm just not fast and don't yeah. care to race. I, I like to do other things on my bike. And that's the great thing about cycling is that everybody can experience it the way that they like to. So I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around why there's this urgency to race and what what is the value there? What are they getting out of it? Why are the race promoters promoting races and why is the usa cycling association lifting the ban on racing and letting people like i don't personally get it yeah like, do you have any insight as to i me? mean no except just that usa cycling is a business and profits over people and the community that supports them will give them money to put on these events even if it's a detriment to the entire community and does that really reflect every racer's values probably not like tons of racers didn't come out and race to our local races when they were still happening a couple weeks ago but tons of people did so i guess we're divided just the way that a lot of americans are where it's like close it down or like let's go to restaurants and hang out yeah. and pretend like nothing's happening but it's very callous because people really are dying and people are suffering not just like because the people are dying, but financially, like people are, have lost their jobs and maybe it's pretty insensitive to be doing this luxury sport while people are suffering financially and medically and or just are dead, you know, <laughs> like I feel like that's not a wild thing to say. It's like why we should care. I guess it's just line. I mean. I was hearing that the NFL, I think, is opening back up and college sports are coming back. I mean, I live in a college town. You live in a college yeah. town and it's going to bring all kinds of people. And you got athletes that are like hitting each other and sweating on each other. Yeah. I mean, it's not just cycling, but we're cyclists. And this is the area that I've devoted and you've devoted some time in your life to to like, OK, how can we make cycling better? And so, I mean, this is a problem that we're experiencing as a nation. And we are so divided. And in my personal opinion, maybe it's American <laughs> to just be so divided and so divisive. That's fucked up. Like, is, is that what we want to be as a country? People who like only care about ourselves and not the collective community? No, for yeah. sure. I mean, I don't like it at all. And it's a big reason why I started a podcast because we're so divided with social media and with news, in my opinion. Like, they're just cesspools for getting people emotionally riled up, triggered, and not really like having genuinely informed opinions we have meme opinions on the internet and we don't really like know what the fuck we're talking about we yeah. pick a camp and we say this is my team and i'm gonna defend <laughs> it and if you try to like really have a conversation about it people will just like yell i mean i hate it i've removed myself from you know social media internet arguments because in my opinion they're just they're fruitless you know and what i really want to promote and what i think is so desperately needed is conversation we as a people as a community, as a nation, whatever, we need to be able to have conversations about everything. Easy topic, hard topics, and not have emotionally triggered topics, yeah. you know? Like, we can't go into a conversation and say, and already have your opinions so well-defined and so established that nobody can even talk to you. 
For like, sure. what the fuck is yeah, that? You know, totally, I really, I yes. really hate that. And so, I talk about cycling, but in every aspect of our lives, like communication can be improved in every area. You know, racism is an issue in America. I mean, I, I haven't lived anywhere else. So in America, you know, we have a, a, a racism issue, and uh, we have to be able to like talk about these issues and not be emotionally triggered and like really seek to understand something outside your own like worldview and your own perspectives and stuff. So I don't know. I'm kind of going on. <laughs> no, I've, I've definitely struggled with that because I have very strong opinions and my in-laws are Republicans and like, I love them so much. They're yeah. so kind to me and they've been so supportive, but like we have had difficult conversations and it's been really awkward and really hard but ultimately we're closer because of it and we find that we're like more closely aligned than we are separate i mean i think most americans are good people yeah most americans will agree that people shouldn't die because of a virus but we have to like talk to each other and reason with each other and not be just rude to each other all the time it's hard i don't i mean i think we're like programmed with everything Again, with the news and social media, two things I don't have a lot of affinity for. But, I mean, it's all designed intentionally to get an emotional response to get you angry so you'll spend more time there and they can sell advertising dollars. Okay, let's be very clear about what is happening. And so we are, like, programmed to be just emotionally triggered, I think, you know? (laughs) And so I want to be an antidote for that, and obviously you do too, which is why you wrote that paper to... Well, actually, why did you write yeah. the paper? What, what was the motivation behind it? I don't want to put words in your no, mouth. No, I was triggered. I was super triggered. <laughs> like, Thank you for your honesty. Yeah, you've seen like the protests happening and a lot of stuff has been happening in Austin. And there was one Saturday when this very first started, when all the protests first started, there were two protests, one in front of the Capitol building and one in front of APD, Austin Police Department. And so I go to the one in front of the Capitol. There's like people screaming and it's like a huge deal. It's very emotionally charged. But I felt the need to go because I was like, yeah, Black Lives Matter. Of course. Yeah, I'll go. And I didn't even look into it. I'm just like pro Black Lives. I'm going to this protest. And we were like riding our BMX bikes. We go to the one in front of APD and everything's fine. Like it's chill and Some people are, like, eating food. Some people are, like, just standing there. Some people are yelling. And I felt safe. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I don't know the full story. I don't know what was happening. But APD started shooting into the crowd, like, rubber bullets. At the time, I didn't know they were rubber bullets. I didn't know police were doing this. Yeah. And so I just showed up, and I was just standing there. And all of a sudden, I'm getting shot at, and people around me are, like, falling to the ground, And I thought they were dead and they're shooting from like in front of the police department from on top of 35 where they were standing shooting down into the crowd. And then I saw someone's like hand blown open or like it was all bloody and a lady had to get like dragged off the ground. And so I just like break down crying and I'm just like having a hard time. And I start like we just get out of there. We're like, fuck this. Like, why is this happening? I just had never felt so unsafe in my life. And I was like, this is in America with a police presence there to protect you, to serve and protect the people. I just had never experienced that. I never had felt that kind of fear towards a police officer. And I was like, this is how black people must feel every day. And it was like an enlightening, like, oh, shit, man, this is awful. So I'm like crying. I'm like riding my little BMX bike home. I pass by the second protest by the Capitol. And in front of the Capitol, there's like this really fancy Italian restaurant. There are like six tables and they're all full of white people and they're all having a great meal and they're having a great time. And like literally within viewing distance, there's like this crowd of anger and sadness and like pain. And I'm like, we're living in two different worlds. Like, how is this possible that I was literally just shot at. These people are fighting for their lives. And these other people are just like having a great time, like pretending like nothing's happening. And it was really intense. And I got home and I had been thinking about, I've never written anything in my life except for like a college paper. 
And so I've been thinking about this racing thing for a while. And I was like, why are we still racing? And I get home and I'm like, no, I have to like do something about this. And so I, I'm like, I'm going to write about it. And so I just start writing. I send it to a couple of my friends. They like proofread it. And they're like, yeah, you should publish this. And I'm like, anybody want to publish this? I sent it to like 10 people. They were like, uh, looks good, but no. Machines for Freedom was going to publish it. Bicycle Magazine thought about it, but they were giving me a lot of critiques. And then people, I just was like, I'm just going to share it on my Instagram story and my Facebook. And I mean, at least my friends will see it, you know. And I was really speaking to my Austin community when I was writing it because our local race promoters were still planning on hosting large crits the week after that. The week after the protest? The week after the state reopened. They were like, all right, the oh, okay. state reopened. We're going to like continue racing. And so that's why I, I was like a little bit triggered. But I was like, I'll just post this. And if my friends read it and other people read it, that would be great. So people read it and they started sharing it. And I think that's how John Watson from The Radivist saw it. And he was like, hey, is this published anywhere? And I was like, no. And he was like, cool. Can I publish it? I was like, what? Okay. <laughs> So I guess that's how that all happened. But yeah, I just wrote it because it's not right that we're still racing. <laughs> it's not right that our community is in this bubble where we pretend like we're above the suffering and the pain and everything that's happening right now. And then that we like choose to contribute to that suffering and pain by like possibly spreading the virus further. That's impacting people in my community like the Latino community that are dying higher rates and stuff like that and, and black people, people of color. And I'm like, is this why racing is still okay? Because it's primarily white and like if they're not being, I mean, they don't is, see it. Yeah. Aren't, aren't maybe, seeing maybe it. they don't see yeah. it, which is why maybe you felt it was important to share a different perspective. Like, Hey, like let's open our eyes to this a little bit. I want to, before we get too far, I want to give you a chance to address something that I, maybe people listening will have a question about. The distinction between attending a, a protest and attending a race. So, like, how do you, how do you make that yeah, distinction? Yeah, of course. I just want to give you a, yeah. a chance to address so like, that. Bike racing, hobby, protest, progress of society. You know, like that's <laughs> Prioritiza it. Prioritization. Yeah. It's like... <laughs> Where you can wear a mask at a protest, you can't wear a mask at a bike race. And also, like, is this bettering our society as a whole? If the answer is yes, then you should absolutely be doing that. Is this like hindering our society as a whole? Right. If the answer is yes, then you shouldn't be doing that. You know, like bike racing is hindering us right now as moving forward with the progress of society. Yeah. Okay. Good point. Thank you. <laughs> My, so, I mean, listen, people. This world we live in, every, well, she did this, you know yeah. what I'm saying? So I wanted to give no, you a chance course. to address that. I think it's super that. valid, and I definitely thought about that. I was like, man, yeah. should I be over here? But I was like, yeah, like I this should. This matters. Yeah, this matters. Yeah. This isn't a hobby. This isn't for fun. This is like serious. Yeah. Well, I mean, and they're all happening outside, and, and you can choose. I, I mean, I know not everybody is social distancing and wearing masks, but hopefully... You know, again, we can't control what people do, right? But I mean, you can participate and choose to to do it in a in a safe way or as safe as, as possible. Is the USA Cycling Association or any of these race promoters doing anything to protect the athletes and the community in terms of like testing or making them wear <laughs> masks? Or I mean, is there any kind of like safety protocols that are set up? I did see somewhere in Colorado, people were racing with masks. Which I think is cool. Maybe that's the solution, race with a mask. Like, I would feel better about that than not. They make but, those training masks even where you can train. But see, if everybody's wearing the same mask, if they had like a standard mask where yeah. they could just say, okay, you wear this one and everyone has the same restriction, then I guess so. I mean, I don't, I'm not a scientist, but I, <laughs> you know, but it seems, or an epidemiologist, I guess, the consensus is that if everybody wears masks, that, you know, it's pretty darn safe. Is, is what we understand right now. <laughs> that, yeah, I mean, that's what we've seen. I think they were saying something about the protests and how they haven't been like mass spreader events because people have been wearing masks generally. I don't know. Every I think we're all just like doing the best we can. And I think that's one solution. But another solution is just like not racing. <laughs> like, it's like abstinence, right? Like you can't get pregnant if you don't, you know, you can't get COVID if you just like, 
don't. Yeah, live. well, I like what you said. I mean, prioritizing it, and I mean, I'm still trying to wrap my head around. I mean, like, I guess it's just profits over people. I mean, for sure. Uh, and you know, and that's part of the problem is like, as an industry, if the industry says, you know, industry being race promoters and the USA Cycling Association and anybody else who's like organizing these events, if they're saying this is okay. I mean, another problem we have is like there's too much information and like people are sheep and they're just like, oh, well, they USA Cycling Association said it's okay. So obviously they've done all their homework. They've like have our best interests in mind and this is totally fine thing to do, you know, and and some people might not even be educating themselves at all as to like what's really happening and should they be doing it? It's just there's a race promoter putting it on and like, okay, well, I guess that's fine. I watched this very boring two-hour-long webinar that USA Cycling put out about restarting bike racing and what race promoters should do. And they were like, we can't get rid of the risk of the virus, but we can minimize it. So, like, they acknowledge that there's a risk and there's a risk that somebody might die who is in this event. Then why are we hosting that event? Or, like, not even just, like, that person dying, but, like, going back to their family, infecting their family, or, like, whoever the cashier at the gas station. If it was just affecting the racers, be like, fuck it, let those guys die. If they, if that's worth it to them, that's their decision. <laughs> you know, what? who am I to sure. tell them no? But it's, like, they're impacting everyone that they come into contact with. So that's why I'm, like, this is a big deal. We should care. So let's talk a little bit about how, I mean, your article draws some parallels between bike racing and how it's specifically impacting low-income, black, people of color. Um, Can you elaborate on that for the sake of the podcast? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm speaking for all bike racers. Love to have beer after a race and like go to the bar and like sit outside and talk about the race. And and the people serving us are lower-income people. People who are more likely to be of color, people at the grocery store. I mean, like if you go to HEB, our grocery store here, most of the people working there are Hispanic. And all of the people that you have to come into contact with who are essential workers are most likely from the from the BIPOC community, which I have some issues with the term BIPOC, but it's just like a new one for me. But um, it's so hard. There's so many terms that come yeah. up all the time. And it's like, I, I don't it's know. It's too much to keep track of. <laughs> it really is. But, um, <laughs> it's just like we have to come into contact with these essential workers. If we eventually get sick and like go to the hospital, like there might be, I don't know. It's just the community being impacted are essential workers and essential workers tend to be more from black and brown communities. Just yeah, like I mean, I think it's something drivers. that people may not be aware of. And I mean, I'm a white guy and I do have, you know, some luxuries and privileges that a lot of people don't have. Like one thing that, well, I did a little research. I don't like to, I like numbers. I'm a numbers yeah. guy. And so I went to job, John Hopkins. I'm like, okay, you know, cause I read your article. I'm like, okay, what are the actual numbers? Like how, you know, what are the numbers basically? So mm-hmm. So this was from uh, John Hopkins and their stats. And it says that people of color, oh, sorry, let me start over. So black people, white people are the baseline, by the way. Let me say for this, like white people are the lowest impacted by the coronavirus period. And this uh, article that came out was like from a few days ago. So like the numbers are updated. Black people are dying at 3.7 times higher rate. Indigenous people are 3.5 times higher than white people. So it's like a huge number. I mean, for every one white person, there's 3.7 black people or 3.5 indigenous people that are infected by the coronavirus and are either dying or getting over or whatever, but they're impacted by the coronavirus. So then I was like curious, like, well, what are the, what are the contributing factors to those higher numbers? And I'm just going to read what they said. And they said crowded housing conditions, which we actually talked about before the podcast where I'm a real estate agent and I showed a house not too long ago. It was a two-bedroom house. And at the time that I showed the house, there was two kids, four adults, 
and two of them were like living on mattresses in the living room and the whole house was just it was full of people so that really resonated when i read that crowded housing condition that's one that, like i have a house i have it's me and my family like it's we can quarantine i'm also self-employed like i can work from home yeah <laughs> Working in essential fields was the next one, which you said. I mean, okay, so there's a pandemic. You have rent. You need food. You need to go to work. So you're exposing yourself. You're putting yourself at a health risk to serve the community. Because you have to. Not because it's your hobby. There you go. Point taken. Inconsistent access to health care. So, I mean, that one... I mean, I don't have healthcare either, yeah. <laughs> but, but I mean, that's, I mean, not being able to have healthcare and not having access to good healthcare and being able to treat yourself or even like having, because part of the virus is like, if you're having pre-existing conditions through a, an ongoing lack of not having the healthcare that you need, then you're more susceptible to the virus, which leads into their next one, which is chronic health conditions and then just stress, you know, and that probably speaks to God, I mean, we're all stressed, but I can imagine if I was a person of color, if I was black or an indigenous person, or I, sorry, I didn't write down, I should have wrote down the numbers for Latinos since uh, I'm speaking no, to that's you. No, okay. They're um, pretty high. Yeah. But what I was talking about is the stress that I can imagine the stress, like there's a big social movement with the Black Lives Matter and really some good awareness and traction is happening as a nation. And people are looking to use that as a catalyst to like, yeah, let's keep this going. There's a pandemic. I mean, and like I have kids and so like kids are home all the time. Like you have to have someone to watch your kids while you go to work. It's just there's a lot of stress going on right For now. Sure. So I don't know. Did any of that like stick out to you? Uh, just the large family. Like <laughs> my dad has nine brothers and one sister and they all live within like 10 minutes of each other in Houston and then whenever you have like an old person, Hispanic people don't typically put them in homes. So they're probably living with one of their kids. And then... Which is another thing that's different from white people. Yeah. Like, we're just like, hey, there's a there's a house. Yeah. I pay for that. You <laughs> You're on your own now. Yeah. Thanks See for ya. all the stuff you did for it's, me. It's crazy, man. We, but yeah, just And like, even in like Asian culture, I mean, Latino and Asian culture is so common for the parent to come and live with the family. You take yeah. care of them, which is like the way it should be. Like you should... If I understand correctly, the way I've always heard it is like the parents work hard to improve their children's life and then the children like kind of pay it back. You know, they're like, okay, it's my turn to take care of you. Which can be a burden, but it's also like kind of beautiful, you know, like it's just like the cycle. Yeah. Yeah. My family, my grandma lives with my parents currently. She's traveling. She was traveling from Mexico to the U.S. when Corona hit. So now she's just living with them. And so... She decided to stay for a while because she was like, I may not be able to come back if I leave, but her visa is going to expire soon. So she's setting back to Mexico soon. But like my parents have both of my sisters themselves and then my grandma. So that's like five people. And she's about to come from America and go and. No, she's been in America. She's about to go back. Sorry, I said that wrong, but she's about to go. So she's coming from like a hotbed, Texas with the virus to go back to To your family. Yeah. Are they going to. See, and that's the other thing I was about to say. Are they going to quarantine her? But do, can no. she even quarantine? Is there space for In her? Mexico to... doesn't really. I mean, they're like, you want to come here? Okay, whatever. <laughs> like, they don't have that many rules. That's one of the places where Americans can travel right now, but... They shouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> I want to talk about the title of your paper, um, specifically white privilege. So mm-hmm. I know that you got some pushback on that, which yeah. is to anytime you have an opinion, someone else is going to have another no, opinion. That's just the way it is. So. And like, honestly, I was really debating whether or not I should use that phrase because I'm a bike racer and most of my friends are white because they're bike racers or like, I don't know, they just are white. So I was like, I'm well, gonna... white, cycling is a super white yeah, sport. Everybody sure. knows it. Yeah. I mean, look at Tour de France all the way down to, you know, what I do in bikepacking. Ultra. I mean, it's so white. It's anyway. very white. So I was like, should I use it? And I was like, yeah, you know what? This is how I feel. I'm not going to change my mind. Like, it is a privilege what we're doing as bike racers. And most of us are white. So it's like, it's associated. It's white. It's white privilege. And so people were calling me a racist <laughs> like on social media and they were like, you're calling us a racist. Well, I think you're a racist. I'm like, I'm not calling anyone a racist. I'm just saying that we're contributing to like inequality by spreading the virus. You know, we have to pay attention that most of the people are white and like 
maybe we didn't really want to acknowledge that until now, but it's definitely true. And I didn't mention this in our article, but like, is this really what we value as a community, keeping it white? Or like, is it more interesting and less boring if there's more diversity? But just kind of like shining a little light, like, yeah, this is also like a form of white privilege. You get to like go on a weekend trip to spend like $200 on a bike race with, on your like $3,000 carbon whatever, you know? Yeah. Like that's a huge privilege. And I definitely like, I'm not white and I have that privilege and I can acknowledge that's a huge privilege. But it's just from the perspective of like most of the people doing that are white and we just acknowledge it, you know? Well, help educate me and, and other white people that are listening about, I mean, what is it like to be a Latino looking at entering the, I mean, you went, I mean, what you got into cycling like 2012? Yeah. So and eight years collegiate, ago. Yeah. And, and so like, I mean, you had a, a fairly recent, I mean, you were an adult, so you can remember. I mean, what was it like coming into a super white sport? I don't know. I guess uh, like coming from Houston where there was tons of diversity. There was tons of black people. There was tons of Mexican people. And then getting to college and just seeing like, where are all the black people? Where are all the brown people? And then just getting into racing, I was like, oh, naturally this is white too because it's a collegiate sport. And then coming into regular Texpro racing, Texas bicycle racing, it's even though we have a large Hispanic population, for some reason they're they're just not there. And maybe it's like, economic or maybe it's cultural or something like that but I've had the chance to race in Mexico and there's like tons of bike like Mexican bike racers there who are like super fast and so I'm wondering why that doesn't translate yeah I guess you didn't well where did you grew up in Mexico and when did you come to America (laughs) okay sorry (laughs) no my parents were from Mexico my mom came here illegally when I was when she was pregnant with me and my dad became a naturalized citizen when I was like in high school or something. But I was born in Houston. Yeah. Well, yeah. So you, you were raised in America. That's what I was wondering. Yeah. I mean, so the your culture growing up in America, there just wasn't like bikes weren't a part of it. And you no. don't you don't know why. Really. Yeah, no. I mean, now looking back, I'm like, OK, maybe there wasn't infrastructure that would support somebody riding a bike on those roads like. Yes. In the neighborhood of my family. Think about that. I love that point. And it's something that I look at a lot. And I've talked about before. Like when I go ride my bike, I go to, I mean, if I'm not out in the middle of nowhere, like I like to ride very safely. I don't want to get hit by a car. And so I like to go where there's good cycling infrastructure. And if I'm going through a city, it's in the nicer part of the city. Like we drove through or we rode through downtown Austin. And I mean, the bike lanes and bike infrastructure here. I mean, all the bike paths, like all along the Colorado River. I mean, it is awesome. I we love, it, love it. Got some fat lanes. Yeah, yeah, y'all got some fat lanes, yeah. and I don't know how they tie into the lower income portions, but I know in my community, when I go to ride my bike, I go to like affluent neighborhoods because there's wide roads, there's sidewalks, they're lit. Lower speed limits. The lower speed limits, and you know what? The people there are driving nice cars, and the last thing they want to do is hit me and and ruin their night. You know, they're going home to a nice family <laughs> meal or whatever, and like they don't want to hit me. You know, so yeah. <laughs> not that other people. Well, I think actually, I, I, some people have an out for cyclists. We all know that. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> but I just, I mean, it's just safer. And like in my community, again, the bike pass and all those cycling, they're only in the nice areas. You know, yeah. they're not in the lower income areas. I've, I've ridden my bike in there too, and they're narrow streets. They're not uh, swept. They're potholes. It's just not conducive to riding a For bike. Sure. You know, that's how so. it is in Austin. Like the downtown area, the central area, or like the more affluent areas, all have bike lanes. But if you go further out, further like east, there's not a lot of shoulder or anything to ride with. That's a good point. That yeah. I guess I didn't. I guess I kind of was like peripherally aware of it based on my own personal riding habits, but not aware of it as a barrier as a barrier to you know kit like mom and dad saying yeah go ride your bike around the neighborhood yeah when i grew up i all i did was ride around the neighborhood i mean that's the only thing that yeah. i did as a kid and you know it was safe i yeah. mean no one ever <laughs> that's huge it, it, dude i yeah. mean it's it's i mean it, it's changed my entire life the way that i was raised the freedoms that i had my mom stayed at home 
and she kicked us out of the house and made us go ride our bikes and nice. explore and live outside. And that was how I was raised. Yeah. And, and I really, to this day, as an adult, try to capture that. When I go ride my bike, I'm still, we would ride around Austin. I'm like, I don't have a plan. I just want to go explore. Yeah. I want to go see what's out there. I want to go like, I don't know, just experience like Austin. You can yeah, really do fun. that on yeah. a bike. And it, it stems from my childhood where I originally got that. So, yeah, that resonates with me for yeah. sure. So, lack of infrastructure, I have to assume money. is Money it? for sure, yeah. I mean, even when you do go to a group ride and you, like, show up on this, like, shitty bike with, like, an oversized jersey or something, people might make fun of you. And that's, like, part of cycling culture that, or bike racing culture that I hope changes yes. to make it more inclusive towards people who are like just getting started and trying to do the best they can but on that same note like so many people have helped me become the cyclist that I am today like teaching me like hey you're not supposed to wear underwear underneath your bibs <laughs> or like riding with me when I'm going like 10 miles per hour and I'm like super bonked and they are so patient with me and just like all of the kindness that exists in our sport. Like every bike racer has had a ton of people teach them for free. I mean, most people can't pay a coach or anything. So like teach them how to eat, how to ride, like where to ride, what are some good routes. And then just like accepting them into this group and helping them along to build them up. That's what I really love about the bike racing community that it took, like you can't be born being a good bike racer or a good cyclist. You have to like have the love and support of people around you who are willing to take that time to build you up instead of like break you down. So that's what I always think of. Like I was really a little bit depressed whenever COVID first started and I saw everybody still group riding. Cause I was like, man, we're so selfish. We're still racing. We're still riding together. We're like, we don't care. And and then I started thinking about all of those people who helped me. Like, I've seen tons of, like, beautiful stuff that's happened. Like, once uh, there was this guy, this race promoter who had cancer, and he had been a big member of the cycling community. And one of the guys that he helped build up, one of the kids, he was, like, 17 when he first started, became a great bike racer. And we were on a group ride with him while he was going through his chemo treatment. And this kid who had like become this great cyclist was like pushing him along the road because he was like his body was so worn out that he couldn't keep up. So this guy was like pushing him and it was kind of like this beautiful cycle of like he helped build up this guy. Now this guy's helping him when he's suffering and just like tons of examples of the community coming together to help each other. I think it's like why we're so close and why I care so much that we're like harming each other at this time it's like we can do better not everybody's racing or riding together but i mean there's a lot of love there and we can all just do better and care about each other a little bit more i appreciate that i mean i personally agree that in my experience i always say we're the shitty shitty ones you know <laughs> and i'm not in the race i hear the racing gets a little bit more you know there's yeah. a little more ego and stuff oh, there's but. a lot of ego <laughs> yeah, it's like all ego you said uh, a little bit outside you that's not the word you use a little bit outside the box a little bit um do you remember the word you use what oh uh, you're, the three adventurous things. extreme or um uh, alternative thinkers alternative thinkers yeah. yeah that's the one i like which we all kind of bond over this I don't think we're that weirdos, but for whatever reason, the bike really bonds us together yeah. and it brings similar people together. And we are a little bit more diverse and open-minded, I think, by and large in our thinking. And I think that's why, I hope that's why we're seeing the cycling community really, what I'm seeing, um, and again, outside of racing, mm -hmm. uh, a lot of companies and cyclists really like coming together and trying to make changes um, you may or may not be aware of the like bikepacking.com has recently raised fifty thousand dollars for people of color programs to create adventures buy gear whatever it is you know and and uh, bikepacking roots has raised like 40 or something thousand dollars and they're doing the same thing i'm seeing a lot of people who are in the industry that are that are trying to make it more inclusive making it easier for everybody to access it a lot of it is an income disparity gap i think one of it is income 
And the other that I want to try to correct is the perception of and actually having examples. We just had Leah Rogers on. You said you listened mm-hmm. to that yeah. that podcast. I mean, what an amazing story. Yeah. That's what we need is just like more examples. People like him, people like you who are willing to be an example. And I mean, if, if you are in this position where you have benefited from other people's generosity and, and you know, all the things that we've talked about, now you're taking that and you're saying, okay, well, what can I do to make a difference, you know? And it's not easy. Like you're going to write an article and people are going to talk shit, but it matters. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. Some days I was like, on the verge of tears and my husband was just like stop reading the bad comments it's like so many people appreciated it just focus on that and i think that's good advice i yeah. mean what i want to promulgate is the conversation and not everybody's going to get everything right all the time i say dumb things a lot i misspeak i am ignorant i you know all these things but like if we're not allowed to talk about it that's when there's a problem and so you might look back on that art. I mean, maybe you will, maybe you won't. But in five years, you might your perception might have changed, right? Yeah. You probably will, and you might write that article different. But that's the thing. Like we're all progressing, yeah. and we need to we need people who are willing to share their voice and be willing to actually have a well thought out, articulated opinion, and then be open to have a conversation about it. You know. But I agree. Internet nasty comments. Yeah. I ignore them. I, I don't respond. Yeah. I have a podcast. If you want to talk to me come and talk to me, yeah. you know, like I'll have wow, a conversation like with you, but, um, I'm not going to engage in, in trolling. Internet. I don't, it, it's like, I don't know if it's a 13 year old little boy yeah. on the end. that's just like screwing with yeah, me. Like, or I someone don't know. who's just having a bad day and needs a snack, yeah, you know, like he snack. changed their mind. Like five minutes later, they're like, Oh, had a snack. Right. We, it's back to emotional. You just, you see it. Well, how many people read the title of your article, yeah, we're immediately didn't read it off. and automatically like had an opinion and were triggered and emotional and commented without even reading it. Yeah. You know, that's again, part of the problem. All right, what else do we have here? I know you mentioned in your article, like some of the good things that are coming oh, yeah. as a result of this. Yes. So let's let's tie a happy bow on it. So uh, <laughs> out of like all of the, well, this is like the social stuff that's going on. I know of like three different teams that are specifically targeting the growth of people of color in racing. So I think there's one in, well, they're just like all across the U.S. And these are people that I kind of know personally who are starting one, one in Austin, one in like Bentonville. And I don't know where the other one is, but. Bentonville. We yeah. talk a lot about Bentonville in the yeah, podcast. Yeah, it seems like a sick place. I think I've been there once for a bike race in college oh, for like it. two days. You will love it. That's another community. Well, Walmart put like 17 million into the infrastructure. Yeah. And so it's just insane. Yeah, yeah. I got to check it out. Yeah. Um, but that's one of the things, just like bringing awareness. And then on Facebook, I'm part of this group or I'm an admin of this group called like Austin Women's Cycling Rides. And it's just like women getting together and being like, hey, where are you riding? Oh, I'm riding over here. Let's ride together. And lately there's been like 50 new members of people who are, I guess, just quarantined and like getting into riding. And so... They're like seeking out this community. So I'm stoked. Like if we can get past this whole virus thing and we can bring all those ladies together for like a group ride and meet each other and like grow each other as cyclists. Yeah. I'm stoked on that. And it's not just women. It's like everyone. Like if you go out on some of these streets and see some of the bikes out there, like there's a lot of 90s bikes out there now or like Mm -hmm. whatever bikes and like mismatched kids that I've never seen before because I've been in Austin for a while so I can recognize a lot of people on the road but these are totally new our entire families like mom dad plus their babies like riding bikes behind them so I'm stoked on that too and we're all seeing I mean I was at my bike shop the other day. They like bought some frames from one company and some forks from another. And they were like, they're just like building whatever random yeah. bike they can to sell because yeah. they can't get any bikes yeah. in stock. And everybody wants to go ride bikes. Everybody wants to recreate. And so I agree. I think if we can come through this, like you say, and we're going to have a really strong healthy community that we can foster and grow and it's going to be great for everybody the racers too the the promoters (laughs) right i mean there's more people that want to go race and all that so it benefits everybody there's another thing that you mentioned in your article i remember it was like the slow street or slow slow streets streets. yeah Yeah. in austin they're called healthy streets but some other places 
slow streets. I, we saw those for the first time last Here. night. Yeah. And I was like, hold on, we got to stop <laughs> and look at this sign. What it, it says, healthy streets, bike, pedestrian, whatever only. Yeah. And I'm just, I'm loving like, this. So yeah, yeah. Like we're rethinking about our infrastructure as an entire, like the whole world is doing right. it. So that's sick. Like maybe we do need more space to ride bikes. Like maybe this is a, a valid form of transportation, you know? Duh. So, yeah. <laughs> well, did you know that the streets were originally developed for cyclists in the late what? 1800s? Yeah. No. Yeah. Oh. So before before cars, yeah. they developed because cycling was the main mode, mode of transportation. I mean, it swept America and all the streets were designed for bikes and then cars came and ruined everything. Well, we're reclaiming them. But again, the numbers that we're seeing that are growing as a result of pandemic and obviously no one wants to be in a pandemic, but Hey, there's a little bit of bright side. People are realizing that Netflix is not an endless entertainment <laughs> and that their it's Xbox gets boring yeah. and they're tired of their kids or whatever. And they're like, we need to get out of the house because we're going freaking yeah. crazy. Yeah, I'm stoked. And then also like people bringing attention to people of color and diversity in the community. Like that's huge for all those new cyclists that are like, oh, here's this guy interviewing somebody that looks like me. Like that's sick. And maybe I do belong here because sometimes whenever you're like the other or like you're the minority, like if you're the only lady or if you're the only Hispanic person, sometimes you feel like, do I belong here? You know, well, think about me, like me, like what if I went like what if every single cyclist was black yeah. and I and I showed up? Yeah. I mean, it's the exact same thing, yeah. isn't it? I mean, it's I would be like, I mean, ultra shock change. Yeah, I don't yeah. know what I would think, yeah. but it wouldn't. I don't know. I wouldn't like look and say, oh, I belong I there. Belong there. Yeah. Like I wouldn't, that's not the immediate thought. Yeah. I would probably need to know more about like, what is it like? Like, what are these people yeah. like? What's the vibe like? Yeah. Am I welcome? Am, Am I, I not welcome? welcome? Yeah. I don't know, you know? Yeah. So yes, as an industry, by and large, we are seeing you are welcome. We're going to promote people of color. We're going to make financial, you know, raise money so that you can have access people in the media are giving attention through articles through youtube podcasts whatever there is a lot of really good things that are coming from it but it's coming from people like you and others who are willing to share their voice and be heard and let everybody else know just like open your eyes you know yeah. like there's so many people in this world there's so many cultures and perspectives and we need to be open-minded to everybody so that it can be an open playing field for anybody i have some advice okay bring it i <laughs> love a advice. lot of people are like what can i do yes yeah let's yeah, let's well, hit that for me personally, it was just like connecting with people, people like taking the time, like you get to a group ride, it's your first group ride ever, or it's your first time riding in the area. And you're just like, oh man, are people going to like me? Like, should I be here? And just like be that person that's like, hey, how's it going? What's your name? What are you doing here? Or like, if you see somebody that needs help, here's a sick route you can go on because you're riding on this dangerous road or Here's like a used pair of gloves because it looks like you need some gloves or offering any support that you can. Like it doesn't have to be monetary. It can just be emotional support. Like, hey, I want to be your friend. Like, thanks for coming or, you know, I think that's, stuff like that. I, think, I mean, it's easy and it's huge. I mean, if somebody's new, welcome in. Yeah, I can relate to that. I mean, just going, I remember going to my first ever social ride. And again, I mean, it's all white people, <laughs> regardless of skin color. I was nervous. I was still a new group of yeah. people. And, you know, I was like on my bike and I didn't want to look like the dummy, you know? Yeah. And so you're, you just don't want to show up to like an athletic thing and be the shitty person that... Or be ignored. Or be ignored yeah. and just like cast cast aside. So, yeah, it's, I mean, there's a lot of like things that are going on and I know they're really hard things, but I'm hoping and I feel like things are going in a, in a good direction, that totally. there's more awareness and that it'll only, hopefully, if we keep to foster this, it'll look much different in 10, 20 years from now. Much like if you look back 20 years, I mean, it's much different now than it was was then. So yeah, hopefully we keep going in the same direction. Yeah, I think, I think the future looks good. I mean, well... After the pandemic, the future After looks good. <laughs> <laughs> like first, we had, we got to get through this, but yeah, for sure, there's a lot of beautiful humans out there in the cycling community who have a lot of love and kindness to give, and 
we can just build on that. It's been the best community just for me to be a part of. I've been in a lot of different sports, a lot of, you know, 40 years old. I've met a lot of people and been in a lot of different You're situations. 40? What? Yeah. <laughs> cool. Do I look old or young? No, younger. <laughs> I would have guessed like 30. Oh, 32. wow. 32. It's yeah. this beard. It hides all my age or Your something. Wrinkles. <laughs> I forgot what I was saying now. Oh, I'm 40. I met a, I met a lot of people. I'm like, I get one compliment. I'm like, ooh. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I met, and this, this community by and large has been extremely just kind and like just really down to earth, good people that you can talk to. And let's bring everybody on. Like, I always think it's funny. I, well, I don't know if I think it's funny, but as a joke, I always wondered if like white people in racing were scared of like opening up to black people because they know that <laughs> that it's just like going to be all over but the crying right they're like no this is the only sport we have this is all we have that's hilarious sorry <laughs> i'm sure there's no truth to that no but, i mean I don't but know. it's kind of but yeah like it was like you were saying earlier about is this really a race like are you really the best yeah if, i like know. it's not this if it's not open to everyone like are you really the best yeah yeah open it up open cycling open it up what else? Any, did we miss anything? Was there anything else that you wanted to um, say? I don't know. I guess I've, I've had the chance to like travel all around the world to like five different countries or something. And every time that I meet a cyclist, like I went to Cuba one time for a study abroad for geography. And I went to Macedonia once and I've had a chance to like meet those like cycling communities and they're all the same. Like, they're all, like, chillers. They just want to adventure and ride. And, like, it doesn't matter which part of the world you're in. You don't even have to speak the same language. Like, we all have this one beautiful thing in common that we can share and grow and, like, make better. So I think it's it just, like, is reassuring to me as a person. We're everywhere and we're growing. Awesome. Yeah. Well, it's nice to have you in the community. And thank you for putting your voice out there. Cause like I, I was saying, I mean, we need people to enter into conversations and not just ones that are like one sentence, I don't know, one up internet, internet score or yeah. whatever it is. Yeah, totally. And then just like come from a place of love. I think like I wasn't trying to be critical of everyone being shitty or race promoters sucking. It was just like, let's just come from a place of love and value our community and just put a pause on it for now. It's not like, I'm asking people to stop racing forever, you know, it's just a little while. Put, push a pause. I mean, yeah. I, I can't disagree. I don't see the value in racing personally. I mean, again, I'm not a racer, <laughs> but I, I don't personally get it. You know, yeah. like how is that a priority I don't to get be it doing either. that? Yeah. I think there's plenty of things you can do to ride your bike and, and everybody seems to be like, okay with it. Like there's lots of ways to go outside and ride your bike and if you need to race you can there's strava koms that are just like waiting for you to go out there and show the world how awesome you are that's what matters man strava koms the the new panda racing (laughs) going down now all right well you mentioned a chiller vibe your instagram is chiller whale yeah underscore chiller underscore whale so people can follow along and stay up to date do you have more plans to like writing more papers or is it just like if you feel oh, empowered man. or impassioned to do so. I don't know. That, like, that was my first time ever writing. It, or actually, no, one of my friends is posting uh, like a short follow-up about privilege in general, not just white privilege. Yeah, you sent, was that article yeah. you sent me or the writing a yes. little a precursor to that? Yeah. yeah, so just that, but I don't really have any plans to continue writing or anything. I just felt really strongly at that moment. But it was cool. Maybe I will. I don't know. Hey. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you do, you don't. I mean, whatever. I mean, it, you did what you felt like needed to be done in the time. I I heard once a quote from an author that said, don't write a book unless you have to. You know? <laughs> Honestly, I didn't want to write that article. Like, I didn't want to tell yes. people that hard stuff. Right. But I, like, had to. I was, like, it was exploding out of me. Like, I had to. Well, I can tell, I mean, earlier you were damn near in tears, yeah. you know, talking about it. I mean, this was, was something insane. that ate at you and you felt like needed to be said and and you said it so kudos to you we need more people to share their their opinions so we can have a dialogue about things whether they're easy or not you know all right well thank, thank you, you. Go, yeah. it's monday and you have to go to work yeah i have to get back to your it. poor husband is he quarantined <laughs> up in the apartment yeah he's like typing <laughs> or not quarantined away. but yeah. working, working from home yeah but he's good we're chill
Cool. We're chilling. Well, congrats on the wedding Gracias. during this crazy time. Thank and you. hopefully we can see you out racing uh, when it is safe and smart and appropriate to do so. <laughs> all right. All right. Thank you. Thank you. All right. All right. That is all I got for y'all beautiful people today. I hope you enjoyed this episode and you weren't too triggered. But if you were, please don't send hate mail to me or Cynthia. We're just talking, right? The world is complicated. So many people, different experiences, life experiences, opinions, everybody's got one. And like I said at the beginning, what I think is so desperately needed is to have open-minded conversations that really seeks to understand other people's point of view and their perspectives. So I'm grateful for Cynthia for coming on the podcast and uh, having one of those little bit harder conversations and having maybe an unpopular opinion to some. We're in a divided world. The truth is that maybe 50% of the people are going to agree with her wholeheartedly and 50% won't. It's a crazy, crazy world. But if we can just seek to understand and have good conversations without just seeking to have an emotional response, I think it'll go a long way in healing a lot of our woes as a society. So I applaud her and everybody else out there that's championing the cause to move us forward as a society, as a cycling community. And I am just so happy to be a part of it and to be in this position to be able to share stories like hers and many, many others. So much more to come. Can't wait. I love this shit. All right, well, stay safe. Don't throw hate. Spread the love. And if you're feeling triggered, feeling emotionally inclined to make a very powerful post on Facebook or other media outlets, maybe just put the keyboard down. Put your cell phone down. Snap in to those SPDs, grab a hold of the hoods, get your heart rate up, get out into nature, get lost, meditate, and get found. And all you got to do is go ride your damn bike. You load up your bike, you ride away from home. You could be with your friends or you could be alone. You ride for a day or maybe more. Just love being in the great outdoors. Everything you need is strapped to your bars, including that new pillow you got from Santa Claus. And then you think, oh shit to yourself. You left that super lightweight tent on the living room shelf. Bikes 